everybody, and welcome on into another episode of Betting the Highline, your go-to podcast destination for all your picks, parlays, and plays, and analysis, and more from around the world of soccer. I'm Thomas Viola, joined as always by Taylor Wilson here on the Book It Sports Network, wherever you get your podcast. Taylor, how are you doing today? Doing good, Tom. Uh, back to the one and two tradition. That is uh, this show's motto, basically, in terms of best bets last week. Uh, still in the green and units. I'm assuming you are as well. What were you record wise in best bets last week? I'm doing well on the year. I'm five and one. I was two oh. and one last week, my friend. Okay. And nice. the only one, that, the only one that I missed, of course, same one that you missed. We we were on opposing sides of Liverpool, Man U, and sure enough, they played out to a zero zero draw. We get another shot at it this weekend at the FA Cup, though. And coming up later on the show today, we have an incredibly special guest, Bruce Marshall of the Gold Sheet, joining us in just a little bit here. But first, plenty to get to. Like you said, one and two on your best bets from last week. I went two and one. Uh, I uh, Like I said, West Ham under two and a half. That hit against Burnley, minus 127. And then I also had, I had Spurs. I ended up betting Spurs three different ways. I bet Spurs money line, Spurs minus one, and Spurs minus one and a half. All three cashed, but Spurs minus one was the best bet for me at minus 103. That got me to two and one. And then, of course, man, you did not get there, although they should have. They had a couple great chances at the end. Yeah, fading Sheffield United in a variety of ways should not be something I overthink ever again. I think you nailed that uh, absolutely. Spurs still a pretty good team. They might not be firmly in the title race anymore, but they're nailing a lot of those kind of back half of the table games. For me, I also had that play in the West Ham Burnley game, but different from you, I had West Ham scoring first and winning. They were able to do that in the Clarendon Blue Derby. And then uh, frustrating in that Leicester Southampton game. We learned a lot about Leicester. I I think Leicester uh, winners 2-0 over Southampton. you'd be you'd be silly not to consider them actual title contenders at this point I'm not going to back them in the futures market there but I mean it's just it's not fair to not say that they're they're completely in it you know they're right in the heart of it right now and uh, they've won the title before they've won it more recently than Manchester United for example so why not uh, consider them uh, in the conversation right now they beat Southampton in that play I had Southampton plus a half goal uh, and then, like you said, I mean, we did cover all of our bases in the Liverpool game. We said, oh, I watched the draw happen. And that's exactly what happened. What a terrible game for like 70 minutes. It, it picked up a little bit at the end, but not up to the entertainment snuff. Yeah, that was a snooze fest to be sure. And you mentioned with Leicester, I think that uh, the biggest problem is that they just don't have the depth that the other teams that are in the title race have. Yes, they're title contenders right now, but that team runs through Jamie Vardy. And I'm very worried what happens if that man gets hurt because he is no spring chicken anymore. But for now, you, you keep going with the Vardy party and hope that they can do it. But let's get right in and talk about some of these FA Cup games as we get started here on the week slate. And let's start it off. You've got you've got some interesting choices here, including Chorley versus Wolves. Hit me with what you're looking at. Is this another one of the FA Cup uh, point spread specials? Uh, so, yeah, this is – look – I love the FA Cup for matchups like this. I love them for entertainment value, and I figure why not lay some some cheese on them as well. Um, More than anything, this has absolutely nothing to do with sixth flight Chorley. They're in the National League North. We love the non-league teams. This is not too dissimilar of a story from the Marine Spurs situation 
last round. Now, they are a couple of divisions higher than Marine, but they're in the sixth division of England against a Premier League team. However, this is all about fading Wolves, and I can't believe I'm saying this. I, I will say the caveat here, like in so many games, let's see who Wolves plays. But even if they're playing a decent amount of starters, Wolves have been atrocious lately. One of the most out-of-form teams in the top flight. I'd say it's them, Newcastle, and obviously Sheffield United as the kind of terrible form teams right now in the EPL. And I don't think they're going to lose this game. I think it would be pretty much impossible for them to lose this game. But I'm going to say that it's relatively close, taking Chorley plus two and a quarter goals at a plus price at plus 120. Um Uh, Just a quick note here, Wolves and Chorley, last time they met, 1986, they played in the FA Cup uh, and Chorley beat them, knocked them out. That was a non-league Chorley team then as well uh, and beat them over two replays. This was the replay era, so any draw went to a replay and and they required all of those games to beat them, but they did knock them out. And it's considered like one of the darkest moments in Wolves history. So let's see if anything similar to that can happen again. I don't think they'll beat them, but let's keep it close at a fun plus price, plus two and a quarter goals. No, that sounds to me like a trend you can follow. Bet Charlie at 20 to 1 for the house. <laughs> yeah, put a put a put a dollar, put a British pound on it. Why not? Yeah, why not? Southampton versus Arsenal, FA Cup matchup on the 23rd. By the way, that Charlie, uh, that Charlie Wolves game, real quick, 1145 tomorrow. So 24 hours from right now when we're recording this podcast on Thursday at around 11. Uh, we're hoping to have it up by then so that you can make any of those plays. But if not, you can uh, laugh as I've made millions of dollars on my surely 20 to one bet Southampton versus Arsenal on the 23rd. This is the FA cup bout between these two. They play later on in the week in the premier league, Southampton, a plus two ten home dog Arsenal dollar 33 to the plus money as the uh, road favorite and the draw at plus two thirty. All of these odds coming from DraftKings. They are not, to be explicitly clear, not a sponsor of the show. They do not give us any money to use their lines. We just like using them because of their wider availability for most of you betters out there. And, of course, their betting menu for soccer uh, really seems to be a head and shoulders above some of the other books that you can find around, at least of the reputable sources. But Southampton Arsenal, what are you thinking in the FA Cup edition? So a spoiler alert before we get to the Prem section, um, I am taking Southampton in both of these and just hoping that one of them hits. So Southampton playing Arsenal in the FA Cup, then they're playing them in the Premier League next midweek. I still am sticking with Southampton. That was a really frustrating loss for them against Leicester, but let's overlook the, or not overlook, let's move past the scoreline a little bit. Um, because Southampton was probably the better team in the first half in that game. Leicester, the better team in the second half. It was a story of Leicester putting their chances home, Southampton now putting their chances home. And I think that's something to watch for as the season goes on and the kind of big picture can Southampton make the Europa League conversations continue. As for Arsenal, they're trending upwards. I think they're really figuring out some things with the kids, with Saka, with Smith Rowe, Lacazette and Aubameyang are finally finding the back of the net with more regularity. Um, uh, Tierney as well has been a nice player for them as of late. Smash Newcastle 3-0 last time out. This feels like a little bit of a kind of letdown game for Arsenal against the Southampton team that I, I continue to like a lot. I think this has to do with Arsenal's kids versus the Southampton midfield, which is relatively young in its own right. Um, but I like Southampton defensively, what they can do in this game. Someone on Arsenal is going to have to rise to the Jamie Vardy level 
uh, that Lester was able to get to last game out. And I still think, you know, Lacazette's been in form, but I still think Southampton's defense is one of the most underrated stories in English soccer right now. So that value's out of whack. Coin flip game at two to one, and that's true with the Prem matchup as well. I think one of those hits at least. So I'm going to take them both and, and hope that both hit, but, but be fine with one hitting. I'm going to wait until we get the lineups for those games, but I am leaning the same way you are. I like Southampton in both matchups. I don't think they're going to win both. I hope they do, but I want to see what this Arsenal lineup looks like for the, for the FA cup game. And additionally, what the Southampton lineup is going to look like because they might focus more on the premier uh, Arsenal might focus more on the premier league, whereas Southampton might see this as their chance to get a trophy this season. One more FA Cup game that I have some thoughts in. Manchester United versus Liverpool. They're right back at it again. So that's the, this time, this is the 2.0 version of the matchup. And Man U, a favorite this time at $1.60. Liverpool, plus 155. This time they are at Old Trafford. So this is the home and home. And the draw is plus 270 here. Um. Again, with the caveat of wait for the lineups, but Jurgen Klopp traditionally does not care at all about the FA Cup. I think that he is going to give his squad some rest here. So I am actually going to try and hit Manchester United at this $1.60 price before the lineups come out because I think that I think that, that number is going to change once Liverpool is not playing its starters in that game. I completely need to wait for the lineups. I would say across the board. Um, you're absolutely right about Jurgen Klopp. Solskjaer is kind of the same deal, though. Uh, you know, you look back to that Watford game in the FA Cup last round, the midfield with Scott McTominay and Donny Vanderbeek. Those are good players, but they're not necessarily the first choice midfielders for United right now. Jesse Lingard started that game as well. Juan Mata, who might be 45 years old at this point, started too. <laughs> so I, I don't know, though. I mean, there is the added uh, aspect of this that is, again, arguably the country's biggest rivalry coming off of a game, you know, one of the interesting things for me is like, who was the winner in that nil-nil draw in the Prem? Um, mm -hmm. I, I think the common sort of just based on like social media responses on the fan, the two fan bases, I think most Manchester United fans were happier than Liverpool fans after that game. But I don't know if that's necessarily true internally. And I also don't know if that's what either manager was hoping for in that game. I think I would have imagined both would have tried to win it. That's why neither of us touched the draw. So now this obviously has nothing to do with the EPL. I don't know how important um, the FA Cup is going to be when both of these teams are so firmly in the Premier League title race, which is part of this. But there also might be kind of a revenge factor after a draw. I don't know. Let's wait for the lineups. I'm not touching this for now. I, I think that's fair. And I, I, might, I might actually be swayed to join you on that. But for the, mo for, for the most part, I am looking at the Manchester United side of that lineup still. But then again, Liverpool, of course, is a team that always seems to get the breaks to go their way when they need them to. But Man United does just the same thing. So we will see on that one. But moving on to the Premier League, you want to talk about out-of-form teams. You mentioned Wolves being the most out-of-form team in the league right now. Chelsea can't be far behind them, and they play each other on Wednesday. Chelsea a minus 143 home favorite. Wolves plus 340 on the road and the draw plus 325. What are you thinking in this one? So remember I said I'm taking Southampton in both games against Arsenal. I'm doing something similar with regards to Wolves in the FA Cup and Prem, and that is I'm fading them both times. Now, in different ways, I'm fading them on the goals uh, against Chorley, and here I'm fading them on the money line. It's a scary play. I'm laying juice 
on a team that's out of form. Usually you try to do the opposite, right? You look for a team that's in form at a good price. And Chelsea is neither of those things in this game. But they lost to Wolves last month. It would be pretty shocking to see Chelsea get swept by a, a Wolves team that is completely out of form uh, on the season. Now, is Chelsea out of form as well? Absolutely. You know, there's no argument against that right now. Frank Lampard, full disclosure, we're recording this on a Thursday. Frank Lampard is still manager of Chelsea Football Club. That is very much a day-to-day situation inside. A lot of reports coming out. There were reports after the City game he might be sacked. He wasn't. Those rumors kind of subsided for a couple of weeks, and now they are fresh out the gate once again this week. I, I don't think that whatever they do against Luden Town in the FA Cup this weekend will matter. So maybe it comes down to this Wolves game as far as Frank Lampard's job. I don't know. I'm done kind of predicting what the Lampard future is because I really have no idea. I'd imagine that Abramovich, just knowing his past, is pretty content firing Frank Lampard, to be honest, just knowing how kind of dissatisfied how quickly he's able to kind of move on from managers. Having said all of that, Chelsea, much better players. They're still creating chances in some of these games. I think even the Leicester game, there were real defensive frustrations, but the playmaking, there were sequences where Chelsea still had some real opportunities. It continues to be who's going to put the ball on the back of the net. And Wolves, their defense has fallen apart. It's not the story that it was last season. So I think Chelsea will do just enough I have no idea what the style of this game will be. It's a tricky read in terms of the total, but this is more about a Wolves fade than anything. Chelsea playing for their manager's job. Don't love the price, but I think Chelsea wins it. So give me Chelsea money line minus 143. I like the Chelsea money line, but I am much more inclined to the under two and a half goals at about even money. It's at minus 104 on DraftKings. I I don't see this game being a blowout. I see this game finishing with two goals in it, probably 2-0 in favor of Chelsea. I don't see this even getting to 2-1. Wolves really can't score, and Chelsea will be able to do enough to put them in the back of the net. At the very least, you know that you have Pulisic, who is going to, if he has to, take on the entire Wolves defense himself and put one in for you. Yeah, I mean, we'll see. I look, man. The Ch- so let's go back to the Fulham game for a second with Chelsea. Um, the Leicester game was disappointing. It's funny the Fulham game was a win, and yet yeah. you talk to Chelsea fans after that, and it felt like a loss. Chelsea winning that game, a man up, uh, nearly conceding on a number of occasions late in that game, where it, it, that game could have totally finished one-one. It's just, I'm not putting my faith in anyone now. I mean, look, I love Pulisic. He's been kind of out of form for the last two, three games too. I mean, the only consistently good player for Chelsea really for the last couple of years has been Mason Mount, which I love Mason Mount, but that's a real indictment of what Chelsea's transfer strategy has been, of what their entire uh, philosophy is currently that any of these new players coming in are not putting their stamp on the team in the way that they need to. The team of Werner story, I'm not going to talk about it anymore in this show. It makes me too upset, and uh, there's nothing else to say about it. He's been absolutely atrocious. I still have faith in Kai Havertz, but that's another Frank Lampard thing where it's like he has no idea how to use him, and Kai Havertz had a COVID issue as well, which is which is certainly a, a valid excuse for being out of form. But that was a while ago, so it's time to kind of get with it. I yeah, There's just so many problems for Chelsea right now, and yet I'm betting them, so I don't even know what I'm talking about. But, again, this is all about a Wolves fade. The lone Saturday game on the lineup this week, Aston Villa, Newcastle United. Villa minus 210, Newcastle plus 540. This Newcastle team has been terrible lately. 
they're all, the only reason they're not in the relegation zone is because they're just lucky that there are more bad teams below them. Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. The, the very bottom of the table this year is uh, real garbage uh, compared to the rest of the league. Newcastle has a few players, but where's the identity? How often have we been saying this with Newcastle United for a decade? Individual talent, but there's no cohesive play. There's no identity. There's no strategy. You know, is Steve Bruce the guy? Doesn't seem like it. If you look at what Newcastle's recent form has been, nine games in a row now, all competitions, Tom, without a win. I mean, that is, that's as bad as it gets. That is worse than Sheffield United's form currently. Um, so just knowing that, you have to But well, also them. Sheffield beat Newcastle, so. Well, there you go. Exactly, exactly. So that, that is the great decider of the two garbage teams. Um, you then look at the Villa perspective of this. You know, what a, what a mess of a season for them. Not on the pitch. I mean, they've had a lot of positivity. I really like this team and the players. But the pandemic has affected some teams more than others. And Aston Villa is one of those teams that has just gotten slammed by this thing. Postponed games left and right. As we mentioned, they had to play like 16-year-olds against Liverpool in the FA Cup. Just an insane season for that Villa team. Uh, and yet, they're finding ways to get results in some of these games. Against the bad teams, they have a tendency to kind of get rolling. 3-0 wins against Palace and West Brom this month. All of that having been said, um, I like Villa on the minus one. I'm going to allow myself a little bit of push protection on that goal line. I'm also laying minus 127. I wouldn't hate someone convincing me to take a minus goal and a half and get a much better price. And maybe over the next few days, I'll talk myself into that over the next couple. But for now, I think this is the safer play for a team that's had inconsistent practice schedules, but is much better than Newcastle. Give me Villa minus a goal at minus 127. I, I, I like that a lot. I have no, I have nothing against you that this is mostly a stay away game for me just because I don't want to have to watch it. But if I was going to bet it, I would absolutely bet on that spread might even go to the minus 1.5. But I think that my biggest problem there is more so I don't know if I trust this Villa team to get two goals. And I like the push protection that you're offering in this, this particular circumstance. So I think I'm with you on that, but let's move on. Crystal palace versus West ham palace Two to one as the as the home dog. West Ham a dollar forty as a road favorite, and using the term favorite a little bit loosely there. And plus two thirty-five on the draw here. I personally really like the under two and a half in this bet in, in this game. Four of the hammers last five have been under two and a half goals. Same with Crystal Palace. Minus one thirty-six. That's where I'm looking all the way in this one. I don't mind that play. I might double up on that play as well. I also like a side here, and that's West Ham plus 140. I, I think any plus value in this kind of a game, back half of the table opponent, is really solid for West Ham right now. For the most part, these types of games, you can kind of throw out home and away. I don't have the stats to back that up right now, but it, I get that sense, and it doesn't seem like the prices are necessarily uh, adhering to that. So I continue to like a team that really feels like they should be more like minus 140 or at least close to even uh, at plus 140 in this. If you look at West Ham right now, we talk about out-of-form teams. They're one of the most informed teams in England. Uh, six games in a row without a loss, three wins in a row, all competitions. Guys, check and Jared Bowen are having breakout seasons. Uh, Mikel Antonio is now back from injury. I think the the question marks for them continue to be, and you're touching on this with the under, 
how consistently can they put the ball in the back of the net? They create a lot of chances, really good attacking midfielders, but they have one striker who's pretty good, maybe not great in Antonio. They shipped Sebastian Allaire out to Holland. So I don't know really where the goals are coming from otherwise, but they seem to be able to kind of scrape out these one nil wins. And I don't think Palace is particularly good. Um, they also have one of the best center backs in the league in Angelo uh, Agbana. So uh, yeah, I think that's great value. Give me West Ham plus 140. All right, now briefly, let's touch on it one more time. Southampton versus Arsenal to the Wrath of Khan. Uh, in this one, Southampton's just a straight up two to one, uh, two to one dog. Arsenal plus one thirty five road favorite, and the draw at plus two forty five. So the odds are incredibly similar to their FA Cup matchup. Uh, we already mentioned we like Southampton in this game. Anything else that you want to add? I, I would just repeat. Let's just keep an eye on the lineups. I'm probably not going to change my play in either one. Um, Southampton has been a team increasingly as of late with some injuries, taking a look at kind of like what, what's happening with their center back pairing and uh, and Danny Ings constantly. You know, you have to make sure that he's playing. I, I, I like some of the other goal scorers. I like Shea Adams. I like Theo Walcott. But Danny Ings is far and away their best goal scorer and probably their best player. So increasingly, I'm a little bit worried about taking Southampton in games where he's not playing. But I, I'm still probably going to take both of these on principle. I think they win one of them. Brighton and Hove taking on Fulham this week. Brighton a plus one ten favorite at home. Fulham two seventy on the road and the draw at plus two thirty five. And what are you looking at in this one? Because I have something I have my eye on in particular. I'm going Fulham plus two seventy. I think that value is completely out of whack. You look at these last two games against teams that are far superior to them: Chelsea and Manchester United, at least in terms of individual talent. Fulham could have drawn or even in the Chelsea case, won either of those games, you know, the American shout outs to uh, us men's national team, Anthony Robinson, getting the red card in the full of Chelsea game, basically not giving them a shot. But after Chelsea scored, they had 20 minutes where they were dominating the game at the end, could have scored one, could have scored two. It would not, nothing shocks me against Chelsea at this point. Um, and then against Manchester United, they get the go ahead goal very early in that game as well. Showed a lot of positivity in the first half Will they poop away the leads? Will they, you know, do something stupid like getting a red card? Always in play. And that's why they're at that end of the table. But I haven't been a Brighton fan all year. And this value seems out of whack. So let's go full of man plus 270. Let's ride. That was my play. Exactly. I'm honestly <laughs> a little upset that I uh, that I let you go first on that one. Because the way I'm looking at it, this, this full of team's been sneaky. As of late, they aren't as bad as you would think. You look at their last, you look at their last three matchups, a one, one draw with Spurs, a one nil loss to Chelsea and a two, one loss to man U. And, and by the way, uh, their, their fourth league game. in that was a nil, nil draw with Southampton. Those are four good teams. They had a two, win against Queens park Rangers, but we're not going to really count that. But this team is not playing bad ball right now. And I think that's the biggest thing that you have to be looking at with them. Whereas this Brighton team notoriously inconsistent, but I, I just think the price is all wrong there. I'm completely agreeing with you. Fulham is no question. My play in this one. Now in a battle of one versus 20 man, you versus Sheffield. What are you thinking in this one? Because you do have a play here and I'm guessing it is not going to be Sheffield money line. Oh, I wish. I wish. It'd be way more fun. Uh, Manchester United uh, is firmly in the title race. I can't believe I'm saying that. I still don't think they'll win at all. 
Uh, full disclosure, I think City at this point has to be considered the favorite to win the English Premier League. However, this is the most exciting United team in eight years. It's the most exciting team since the Sir Alex Ferguson era. And it's the most exciting team since they last won the title in 2012-2013. So, man, you fans have a right to be excited. I understand that. I think when you look at players like Paul Pogba getting back into superstar form, that's where the real excitement comes. Because Pogba is a dude who when he is on, is a top 10 player in the world. And when he's off, might not be a top 200 player in the world. So the Jekyll and Hyde of Pogba there is so crucial to what Manchester United is doing. Nearly scored in the Liverpool game, scored an absolute banger against Fulham. One of the goals of the season. He's had maybe two of the top five goals of the season across the league this year. And Yes, they're going behind in some of these games. They went behind early in this game. They went behind early against Sheffield United. Speaking of the opponent here earlier in the season, ended up winning that game three to two. But you can make whatever jokes you want about penalty luck, about VAR, about Bruno Fernandes scoring from the spot being their only attack. At this point, it doesn't make much sense because from open play, they're putting a lot of pressure on any team that they're playing. I'm still not the biggest Solskjaer believer. I think he's getting bailed out by some real stars and Bruno Fernandez and Pogba uh, and Martial and Rashford, et cetera, et cetera. But the fact of the matter is um, they're in form. They're, they're one of the hottest teams right now. And I don't think this is totally the way that we've seen many squads win titles. Usually you need a little bit more of a sound defense than United has had uh, for most of this season. But they're doing enough and they're winning consistently. And that roller coaster that we talked about for Man U earlier in the year is no longer here. They're really trending upward. Um, and like you say, 1v20, they're playing the worst team in the league, a team that finally got in the win column, but is still quite bad. All of that is a long roundabout way of saying I'm taking Manchester United minus a goal and a half, laying juice on an already big goal line minus 130. Um, but I just think you need to look at a Manchester United play in this game. You can't get them at anything good on the money line straight up. And uh, yeah, I think you have to take a minus a goal and a half. I really like that call. I completely agree with you. Um, Minus a goal and a half is the way to go there. Now, one more Premier League matchup to get to Everton taking on Leicester City. And I hate betting Everton games at this point because of how maddeningly inconsistent they've been. They're plus 185 home dogs. Leicester's a plus 155 road favorite. And I just, the way Leicester has been playing, I don't see them losing this game. And I think that that number just is too good of value on Leicester to pass up. So I am my lean in this one. I'm not sure if I'm going to play it yet, just because of how Everton's been playing. I want to see if they manage to field their full lineup because it's been a little while since they've had Richarlison, Dominic Calvert, Lewin, James, and, and company all out at the same time. I want to see what they're going to do there, but I am leaning Leicester City plus 155. Either that so- or stay away from me. Yeah, I'm, I'm probably staying away. I, so Everton, they've been a pretty good FA Cup team over the years, if you look just over the last few decades, and including even in the last you know, 10, 15 years. Um, what do you think? I mean, you're an Everton fan. What do you think their priorities are? Because they obviously have uh, an FA Cup this game this weekend against Sheffield Wednesday. That's a game they should theoretically win even with some backups out there. But how? Like, what are the priorities for Everton this year? Is it to try to get to the Europa League? Is it to win silverware in the FA Cup? What are they looking for? I think that as long as they continue getting the draws that they've been getting in the FA Cup, they're going to continue playing backups. And I think that they will start taking it seriously once they play a good team. I think that if they were to take on a Premier League side, they would field their real lineup. But 
right now they're simply not because they don't have to, but the priority to me, no question. They want to make top four, top six. They did this Carlo Ancelotti team wants to get back to the champions league more so than they want to get silverware this season, because the reality is that they're still building this team and being in the champions league would be a huge, huge help for them in the summer transfer window. Well, and James is so well connected uh, with, I mean, we talk about this in the NBA all the time and it's kind of weird. We don't talk about it more in soccer where it's like friends trying to get their friends to come play for them. James, you know, some of his best friends are like the biggest stars in the world, guys like CR and he's hanging out during the off season with just massive superstars. So that aspect and also the Carlo aspect too, he knows all the stars in the world too. Like I think the next year is going to be really interesting for Everton and, and being in Europe, I think makes a lot of sense. The problem with that though is, Man, it is a cluster of teams fighting, oh, whether it's, it's top so four tough. or top six. There's so many it's teams so fighting tough. for those spots. It's going to be really difficult, but it's going to really be it's going to be put at ease next year when Cristiano Ronaldo decides to take his talents to <laughs> Liverpool. But um, but you're right, it is going to be tough for them, which is why I think that they might still target some silverware if they can keep getting these fortuitous uh, draws in the FA Cup rounds. But they, this is a team that can't afford to finish below top six this season. Carlo has been working on this too, for too long, and they've been playing too well this season. They've gotten the pieces in place now. They need to start taking that step. Yeah, so, I mean, Leicester's a good team and probably a better team than Everton, but you almost have to start looking at games like this as games that Everton needs to win. If they're going to be – like, let's just say this. If they're going to be a real oh, completely contender, they need to win this You game. have – yeah, you have to beat the teams that are around you on the table in order to be a true contender. You can't just feast on the minnows of the league. And that's what's gonna that, that's what, what it's gonna come down to for Everton. They need to start winning some of these games. And to their credit, they have been able to do that so far the, under Carlo. But that's gonna wrap up the Premier League for us. Let's wrap it, let's wrap up the whole dang thing here before we bring on Bruce Marshall from the gold sheet. You've got two Bundesliga plays that you're looking at, including one in Munchen Gladbach versus Dortmund. Going back to Deutschland, hopefully you're listening to this uh, Thursday night, Friday morning, because I do have another Friday play for you listeners. Uh, going to one of my favorite plays, just general plays in all of soccer is an over in the Bundesliga. And I'm doing that here at over three and a half goals, plus 138 value in Gladbach Dortmund. You're talking about two of the top six scoring teams in the league, both in terms of goals scored and in terms of expected goals as well. When in doubt, over in Germany. I don't care that it's a big number. It's a good price and it's a fun one to bet over three and a half goals. I am literally pulling up my phone to go bet this game as we speak. Taking that, 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 that is how confident in your line I am here. I am following you on it right now, literally pulling it up on my phone as we go to Leverkusen versus Wolfsburg. You are completely correct. Uh, last week, one of my favorite bets was the, I want to say Bayern Leipzig, Dortmund Leipzig. I'm trying to remember, and I'm fairly certain that it involved Leipzig, but it was an over and it was such a rocking chair bet that we were done by halftime. Yes, that was the, uh, I think we're going back a couple of weeks. Was it that wasn't the Stuttgart Gladbach game, was it? No, the, no, I don't know. There, this is the thing with Germany. Oh, the, I don't know. Well, Hang on, we'll, let me we'll check. I've got yeah. it. I, I think I have it in my notes. I do not have it in my notes. Never mind. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Wolf, Wolfsburg, Leipzig, Leipzig, right? Yep, that was it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the, the, there are so many of these where the money is just on. I know three and a half is a scary number to take it over. Um, it was not as scary maybe in the first month or two of this season or even post-restart uh, last year. 
But keep in mind, the scoring is still pretty high in Germany. And some of these, especially the, the kind of the top end of the table matchups, are where you're seeing a lot of goals. That's the fun thing in Germany, Tom. In the Prem this season, you know, we talk about Liverpool, Man U being that gross nil-nil. There have been so many nil-nils when the big boys play each other in England this year. That's not the case in Germany. The German no. games, you know, they're just goal fest regardless. They really are. And that's that's one of the fun things about the German League. It is fun to go watch them play. And the other great thing is you can see a lot of Americans in it now, including our new president, Matthew Hoppe. Five goals in his last three games. Insane. Out of nowhere. And, and Schalke, maybe, will he save Schalke? Probably not, but we'll see. Uh, I'd love to see him do it, but oh, Schalke, man, just when I think I'm out, they pull me back in. Now all of a sudden I'm watching these damn games again. One more here, uh, Saturday play for you, Leverkusen versus Wolfsburg. Leverkusen pretty much at even money, plus 102 is the home favorite. V- Wolfsburg plus 250 on the uh, as a dog, and the draw at plus 265. What are you looking at there? Thomas Viola value play here, going Wolfsburg at plus 250. Leverkusen coming off of a great win over Dortmund, uh, and they have another big fixture against Leipzig after this. This is just pure trap game logic at a really good price for a pretty good Wolfsburg team that's scoring goals. That's kind of right back in the champions league place race coin flip game. I would not be shocked if any of the three money, yeah, three way money line moves happen here, but I think plus two fifty is really good value for a team that can hang with Leverkusen and Leverkusen, you know, the priority was on Dortmund. And I think the next priority is going to be on Leipzig. So give me trap game value. Ladies and gentlemen, it is now time to bring on a very, very special guest, a man who has probably forgotten more about soccer and more about gambling than Taylor or myself will ever know. Ladies and gentlemen, editor-in-chief of the Gold Sheet, Bruce Marshall. How are you doing today, Bruce? Yeah, very good, Tom. Pleasure to be with you guys. It is great to have you on as well. It has been so long since we have talked over at VEASAN. What have you been up to lately? Yeah, still doing some stuff at VEASAN, but very busy with the gold sheet. You know, even uh, with the, this crazy year, the football season, I mean, we're about to complete it. And so we went through a full season and got that done a little bit different this year. Basketball has been a little bit of a challenge, Tom, as you could imagine, because the schedule, especially in college, changing the way it, it, it has. So we've sort of changed the format for gold sheet basketball. We're doing it every day, and you really – because in colleges, you can't really, you know, forecast the schedule too much further than a day out. But it's been very well received. It's all online now, and it's much neater and easier to read. But we do it every day up at goldsheet.com for goldsheet uh, hoops. And it's uh, kind of good fun because um, it, we're just 24 hours out all the time, and we don't have to worry about too many games getting postponed. And that, we already know who's getting postponed by the time you write. So uh, it's, it's helping a little bit. That can be one of the biggest challenges on the podcast here, doing it weekly. It's you're always trying to forecast, okay, well, we, we like these bets, but this game is four days away and you have to wait for the lineup. So everything comes with a couple caveats. That 24-hour cycle can be good. But in addition to all the work at the Gold Sheet, you are, of course, at heart, a huge footy fan just like us. And you've got some thoughts on, uh, you've got some thoughts on the FA Cup this weekend, don't you? Yeah, Tom. And uh, yeah, you know, we did a publication uh, several years ago. We called it European Soccer Weekly. It looked like the old Pro Football Weekly. And we did that for about eight years um, and actually distributed some overseas as well. It was good fun. Um, and uh, that was, uh, it was, it was a labor of love, uh, really, but uh, it was a really neat thing. So we've kept 
you know, we've kept our hand in the soccer as we can. You know, we used to do some stuff and still do it decent uh, talking about the soccer matches at times. And, uh, and I still do releases up on Vegas Insider and all that. So it's, we keep our hand in it. FA Cup is very special, as you know, and uh, we're into the fourth round this weekend. Uh, I've actually been in it. It's been a while, um, but uh, I, was, uh, <laughs> I was at the Leeds-Liverpool FA Cup fourth round in 2001. When uh, Lee Boyer Lee Boyer punched Gary McAllister right in front of us, <laughs> uh, literally, that Ellen Road, you're kind of hanging over in the second at the, the second level, and it was literally right in front. And he just leveled him, and that sort of started the down. Lead started to unravel at that point. Right around then, O'Leary was still the manager, and and uh, that whole thing started to unravel right around that point. But the FA Cup is enormous, and it's actually the the, the third round, the one that was a couple of weeks ago when the EPL and the championship sides get involved. That's still one of the biggest days of the year in, in English football. And so I, I think people outside England don't realize that the FA Cup is still a pretty big deal. It's a bigger deal, I think, domestic cup-wise in England than some of the other countries, uh, Spain and in particular what happened to Real Madrid last night against the third division side. Uh, but they take the FA Cup pretty seriously in England still, and that's good. It really is neat. Where are you getting all this information? You talk about like just a massive group of teams, of players. I mean, Tom and I talked about that Marine AFC Spurs matchup, which you're talking about an eight-tier team against a team with Harry Kane and Son Heung-min. Obviously, they didn't play in that game, but Jose Mourinho, manager, first tier versus eighth tier of England. Where are you getting the information for some of these kind of deep cuts? You know, tomorrow on Friday, we have a Chorley uh, matchup against Wolves. Like, how are we finding out information on Chorley? Yeah, I mean, it, it's tough to get some of these. So, I mean, usually with, with these games, um, uh, with, with the, the lower, really lower division sides, I'll probably avoid some of those. I mean, if I'd make any release on any of these at all, uh, you might go down, you know, a flight down to League One uh, where you have a little bit more information on some of these things. But really, when you get further down, it, it's harder. And in those, you don't really need to make a release as much. as Just sit back and kind of enjoy the possibility that, there, the the cup competitions are still good watching if you get one or two of these Cinderella teams. And usually in, in, in the FA Cup, you know, it's not uncommon for one of these sides to at least make it through into the into the last 16. And then you can start to dream uh, that, God, did this actually happen? And this is the only sort of competition where that happens. It doesn't happen in the Champions League. It doesn't happen in the real domestic leagues. But in cup competitions, you can still get a side from way low to make a run. And um, and here we got we got I mean Cheltenham Town against uh, Man City coming up on the, on Saturday too. That's kind of interesting. Uh, but those don't have to bet on those. Just sit back and watch and enjoy them, and that's pretty good fun if you can get one of these sides to dream about making a big upset. Now, Bruce, on the flip side of the lopsided one versus significantly lower matchups. We actually have not one, but two repeat matchups this week. Southampton plays Arsenal both this Saturday in the FA Cup and then Tuesday in the midweek in the Premier League. And Manchester United has an immediate rematch here with Liverpool. How do you kind of handle these essentially two, two-leg series that we've got going on in terms of how you want to approach them from a betting perspective? You know, what? one thing, Tommy, and these, I think you want to see, you know, the lineups they put out there because as, as, as neat as the cups are, um, now, now against one another, against EPL versus EPL, they may be less inclined to rest some guys, but you want to sort of pay attention to the lineup because a lot of times, this is really true of the Carabao Cup, 
where you play under strength lineups with bigger teams. Uh, but see who's in and who's out. Normally, these teams will still be focusing on the uh, on the uh, EPL games matches. But you know, the deeper you get in the FA Cup, the less likely you're seeing guys rest. But you want to make sure who's actually going to be in and who isn't. And in a quick turnaround games like this, you might see some guys, uh, you know, taking a rest. I mean, I don't know if, you know, Bruno Fernandes is going to be out both games, but that would be important to know. And that's usually known beforehand who's going to play and who's not. So you want to kind of check the rosters and who's going to be in, especially that FA Cup battle, because you can assume in the EPL matchup, you know, they'll be full strength versus full strength for sure. Yeah, although now with all of the postponements and everything, I mean, Tom and I are constantly just putting out the caveat of, hey, maybe you might need to wait for the lineup on some of these um, with the virus concerns and everything going on. Um, Bruce, I do want to just go big picture for a second. You, you mentioned Liverpool leads in 2001. What a great shout out that is. I'm just wondering, I mean, you've been around the block. You've been doing this for a while. You know, I've been following soccer for maybe 15 years, betting on it maybe 10 years. Um, Tom and I are relative newcomers compared to you in this. How have you seen the general uh, soccer betting landscape change over the generations, over the decades, whether it's what numbers are available, um, whether it's who's betting on the games? Um, what's different today than maybe back, you mentioned 2001, than back then? Well, it's just because the availability of it and um, you're seeing more offerings on, on this side of the pond on some of these EPL and other matchups catch. They're not quite where, where England is yet. And what always uh, surprised or shocked me was in any of these matches in the EPL or anywhere in England, it could be the championship. It could be division one. It could be Bundesliga. It could be uh, Liga Un. It could be Serie A, Liga. There is such a menu of available wagers on each match. I mean, it's staggering. If you go on a 365 site or, or, or somewhere like that, and, and the number of, of prop bets, I mean, we, I mean we're, you know, we think here we get, we got the Super Bowl coming up in a few weeks and go, oh boy, we got all these props. Well, that's like every match overseas. If you go online and you see unbelievable arrays of bets that you can make, and, you know, correct score is one I always think is kind of an interesting bet. Um, but you're seeing a little bit more of that here. It wasn't long ago, uh, guys, where, you know, the, some of the wagering you'd see here in the States and some of the sports, but very limited offerings on some of these games. Uh, and, you know, it might not even be totals. You might not be able to bet a draw. Yet. I mean, but now you're seeing more offerings available and more as you go mobile, you can do more stuff because, and the mobile apps can accommodate more. So that's sort of the change. There's more offerings. But if you want to see where it could go, I mean, look overseas, look at a 365 or a site like that and see all the different offerings they have in each match. It's truly mind-boggling, but it's, a, it's very fun as well. And back then, like, where were you getting all of the information and where, I mean, now, you know, people complain in the U.S., oh, I have to pay for CBS All Access. I have to pay for Peacock. I always find the complaints funny because back in the day, I don't think you could have watched most of this stuff. How were you watching games? How were you following the sport back then? Well, there, there were some ways to do it. Uh, when we did European Soccer Weekly, we had a deal with Reuters. So I got every Reuters story that came. So, and, that, and so that was keeping me up to date, but I had to, you know, we had our deal with Reuters for that. There used to be, uh, in the early days of the internet, late 90s, around 2000, there was a thing out there called Planet Football. And we had a deal with them where we, they provided some of our 
copy for the publications. But they were web and they handled websites for mo- many of the EPL teams at that point. Sky eventually bought uh, Planet Football. But in those days, they were able to uh, they were able to provide a lot of information. Uh, and uh, but this again before the before the internet came around, you were really kind of stuck because you didn't there wasn't that much readily available. But in the early days of the internet, Planet Football was great. Most of the newspapers and and you know all the London papers before they started to charge the Telegraph and those things too. I mean the stories there and the writing is so good and you could usually follow it pretty well. Um, I will tell you this, what got European Soccer Weekly going, what got my mind thinking about it was actually the 94 World Cup here. And there were a lot of art contributors for the gold sheet for American sport, brought over some European publications uh, like Gazette de la Sport and a few others that they started to sell over here, starting in the World Cup 94. And that got us thinking, wow, that's interesting. But those are still print publications. Um, but before the Internet, it would have been... <laughs> A lot harder, but in the early days of the internet, late nineties, early two thousands, there were some pretty, there were still some pretty good options. Just had to look for them, but there was information out there. Bruce, uh, in terms of betting, soccer still very much growing on the American public, but in terms of overall fandom, uh, as as the Men and Blazers put it in their book Encyclopedia Blazer Tanica, soccer has been America's sport of the future since nineteen seventy two, but. Maybe it's just the recency bias for me of only having followed it in this millennium. What do you you think about the growth of the sport in the country in general, not just MLS, but the popularity of European soccer? And you mentioned the 94, uh, the the 94 World Cup, but even past that, to me, it felt like 2014 was a real turning point where you saw World Cup fever hit and then it didn't really peter off the way that it had in the past. Do you, do you think we're actually getting somewhere to the point where soccer is going to be in that conversation as one of the top sports in America? Mm, it's going to be in the orbit, but it's going to be flying in a lower orbit, I think. But at least it's in orbit now. Uh, so I think that's good. And I fact, the fact, I think when NBC stepped it up with its coverage of the EPL here, and now you're seeing, I think CBS is doing a great job with uh, their coverage of the Champions League and the Europa League and all that now. There's more coverage here. And I, always, I still believe that the appeal... There's, there's great appeal here for, uh, for the European sides over here. I thought this a long time ago, and that's when, when we started the, our publication. And I can remember going to the football expos in uh, Cannes, right when we were starting this stuff up. And Edward Freeman was a great man, United uh, marketing guy. And I remember talking to him then about the possibilities over on this side. And he agreed. He said, yeah, he said, it's got to be done incrementally but he saw potential in the states for the european game and the exposure there uh and you see all these a lot of the teams when they can and non-covid times they'll come here for the preseason games and all that real Madrid, i think i still believe the spanish sides have barely scratched the surface over here that real madrid's appeal is so worldwide a lot of people hate them too but i mean you, you know you the latin american community in the states Fall, they know Real Madrid, they know Barcelona, and you're starting to see them promote themselves a little bit more here. I noticed when I wore a Real Madrid shirt, like back in the mid-90s, uh, walking around here, there's people would notice who it was. So uh, where, where the Americans come from, it still consumed mostly at the grassroots level in the States. I don't know how much the MLS is being consumed. 
um, in, in, you know, compared to the other sports, but it's, it's, it's got to the point where they're in the orbit. And I think that's good. And the gaming part of it is, 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 is an angle too, but I think overall it's okay if it stays in that lower orbit here, because I think most of the soccer fans here would rather watch England and Spain and champions league and things like that. Bruce, do you have any uh, kind of different philosophies, different tactics when you approach soccer on the whole compared to other sports in the U S I mean, we think about something like the NFL that has so much action and so much movement within the week on the lines. Like you get to Sunday morning and it's possibly already moved a half point, point, point and a half from where you wanted it on uh, earlier in the week. Um, Soccer is a very different animal, particularly when you're looking at something like the three-way money line and there's a lot more value, but a lot more chances to, to slip up as well. Um, do you approach the sport a lot differently than you do other sports? A, a little bit in, in the, because it, it's sort of like college, I don't know, sort of college basketball, but college football, it's different than the NFL because if you're looking at the varieties of leagues overseas and then you throw in the continental competitions like the Champions League and the Europa League, there's so many different options out there. And it is really hard to stay on top of all of these leagues and see where you can find some edges. It's a constant a battle. I mean, and then you, in England, you've got the other division too, and you have in the other leagues as well, other countries as well. So you have to sort of focus on, you, you can't process in college hoops. Now I can tell you, there's 300 and some teams. I, I can't focus absolutely on every one. So you got to pick some, some leagues you're a little bit more in tune with and stick to those. So I, I, I don't think it's humanly possible to cover, to have expertise in all of these different leagues. You have to have some and, and, and know a lot about a few and find where you're most comfortable and focus there because it is too easy to stray off. And, well, I like this, uh, you know, French game. And I like this game in Syria. Obviously, well, here's the this English game. I mean, it's a lot. And, and it's sort of like college sports here. You, you, you just got to narrow it down to the leagues you're more comfortable with and stick to those. Now, if you were a better who was looking to really start focusing on soccer betting, what leagues would you in particular say that they should focus on? Because the reality is that the Premier League, being one of the most bet on leagues, might not be the right choice. No, I'd look at the England. I'd look at the second. I look at the championship in England. I think there's I think there's some uh, interesting value there. And what I like to look at usually, Tommy, um, you can find some some streaks. In, in these leagues that really endure and, you know, winless streaks and, 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 and all that. There is also one other thing to consider for in soccer betting, just right off the bat, that there's a third result and that's the draw and you can bet the draw. And that is the secret sauce for the sports books and why their, their hold generally on soccer is a lot more than it is on other sports because there's a third result and any of these guys over the three, three, John Coates, three, six, five, something long ago, how much their hold was on soccer. And he said, it's because of the third result. Now there's all these other bets you can make as well, but still, I mean, the majority of them are still bet on one side or the other or a draw. So you've got to remember, you know, you don't get, you know, there's not, you know, you can have a push, there uh if you if you're if you're laying you know in the playing the goal line there or something but uh there's a third result and uh unlike american sports here there's only you know two results uh one side's gonna win one side's gonna lose you could bet the draw over there so there's a third result and sometimes draw is one of the best bets you can make 
there's usually some very good prices in the draw. But if there's one league I would look at first, um, I think England Championship is as good as any to really uh, find some good values. Bruce, how about this season in terms of specific teams? You mentioned the English Championship, you finding being able to find some streaks there. Um, any teams you're liking right now that have been on a roll that you've kind of kept riding? Well, in in Spain, um, and I, I do follow Spain. I sort of have to because my wife's from Spain, so it helps, you know, to have your wife not yell at you when you're watching some sport and she's actually mm-hmm. watching it too. Um, look at what Atletico Madrid is doing this year. And Simeone, I think, is is my favorite manager. I mean, that day they have taken his personality. He's as highly paid as any manager in, in, in Europe. Uh, they've only allowed six goals, and they're almost halfway through the season. I mean, Oblak has done – it's tremendous, but they just lock everybody down. Um, they're going to be hard to catch in Spain. So I would – I would, I think Atletico Madrid is one I, I think is really – interesting here and there's a variety of other teams back and forth there but on top they, they jump right to mine also we're in the transfer at the end of this transfer window right now and there could still be most of the moves in the transfer windows as you guys know happened in the last week in the last couple of days the january window though uh, some of these guys can be cup tied so it means if they played in europe in the champions league for one side they transfer in january they can't play in that competition though they can play in the domestic this is why I would watch a guy like Lukaku from Inter Milan. If he, and I think Inter's in great shape in Serie A, by the way, after beating Juve last week, and they don't have any European things to worry about because they crashed out of the Champions League. They're not even playing in Europa. If Lukaku moves to like Man City, which has been rumored, um, you know, Man City suddenly becomes very dangerous in the EPL. He wouldn't be able to play in the Champions League, but he could play in the EPL. So watch the transfer window. There could be a couple moves. Uh, man, you've got Bruno Fernandes in the in midseason window last year, and look what he has uh, done for them. Long range, one prediction I will make. Uh, next year, Messi will play for Inter Milan. Um, this, this thing with Barcelona is going to have to unravel at some point here, and I know Inter Milan is ready uh, with its overseas or uh, Asian ownership there. They would pay as much as you need to pay to get Messi. And I think that'll happen. And I think that's why they could move Lukaku here. He would be the biggest name that could move in the last week of the transfer window. Wow, that is a massive prediction, though. Messi to Milan, which would be so much fun to see because we would get Messi and Ronaldo back in the same league, this time in Italy. Oh, Bruce, that, that might be the hot take. I'm looking forward to coming back to that in the summer transfer window and seeing if you were right or not. They're going to make a run at him. And uh, this Messi thing is going to be a storyline to watch in Spain because I think that's fractured there at Barcelona. But, the, I mean, the, listen, the the, uh, the buyout and, and how that works. And, by the way, he's worth, you know, the nine figures to Barcelona. I mean, I mean, all their merchandise helps him. But I think he wants out and there might be a way. And I think Inter will pay whatever it takes. So I think that's where he can end up. Um, more likely, but there would be a bidding war beyond bidding wars for him. It would make all this NBA and NFL stuff look uh, like kids play if uh, you were a baseball guy, if, if Messi goes on the market. But that's my prediction. Next year, he'll end up at dinner. I think that Barcelona's play when they installed Ronald Koeman as the manager was that they knew that he would be the lame duck figurehead, but their plan was to go after Pep Guardiola and him re-signing with Man City this season really, really screwed up the plan that Barcelona had to try and keep Messi. 
Well, uh, you remember Guardiola was there and he played there, and I don't think he wants to go back. Though uh, he knows the pressure there is beyond. He already left there once, and he had, they were great when he was there. So they may have dreamed, but I don't think Bar- Guardiola. I mean, he knows the pressure there. I'll tell you who will be the guy. The next guy there will be Xavi. Um, he's coaching in the Middle East right now, but he's on his way up. He's just as much a hero there as Guardiola was the player. He's cutting his teeth. I agree. Coleman is just a, a placeholder. Xavi's going to be the guy. Uh, maybe as soon as next year, um, and it'd be kind of a homecoming for him. Barcelona seems to want to keep going back to these guys who played there, uh, and it's worked at times. But uh, my prediction, Xavi, will be the guy who takes Coleman's place. I think at least the fact that he's going to have some experience coming up, it's not going to be like Andrea Pirlo, who just suddenly was in charge of Juventus, and that might help them. But circling back to Inter Milan real quick, um, Coming up on a year ago at this time, you actually found yourself in an interesting spot in what would be world and soccer history uh, when you were in Milan, were you not? Yes, I was. And my daughter and her husband, granddaughter, lived there. And uh, so I went visiting the weekend that the uh, COVID really hit so late February. And we had tickets to the Inter Sampdoria match at the San Siro on Sunday. And uh, I was only there for a few days, but uh, we were, my son and I was planning it. And then that was the first day they postponed games. Had that match been on Saturday, uh, I would have been able to go. And there were some matches I watched on, on TV that weekend. But uh, So I never got to watch the match there. And I've got to get back to San Siro before it, they tear it down. They're building a new one right next door probably about two years. I've been in the tour at the Sensor. I've never watched the match there. I still have, that's on my bucket list. So I guess next season I'll get there. I hope they'll have fans in there next season, but yeah, I was there and I was glad to, I thought I'd be stuck in Italy because it all happened that weekend. And I got out through Germany a couple of days later, but yeah, I was there when the first weekend got postponed. It was weird. Man, right under the wire. I mean, what a weird year across the board, obviously. And that includes the sports world. I'm curious that same a period of time, Bruce, and we'll let you go here pretty soon, but uh, March, April, May, sports were pretty much shut down across the board. Um, this included a lot of major soccer leagues. I was going to Belarus to try to find soccer plays. I was going to Korean baseball. Um, what were you doing those weeks and months in terms of the betting world? Good question. Uh, it's funny. I've sort, of, I've sort of like eliminated those months from my, <laughs> my mind. Uh, trying to remember what I did. Um, Turkey was playing for a couple of weeks. So I was starting to try to figure out what was going on with Turkey. Uh, and then they stopped theirs a little bit after most of the other leagues. So I didn't do, I, I have some book things I was working on. We had to shut everything down, uh, you know, and until, I, you know, I didn't really start going again until, uh, you know, later July. And that's when all the, uh, well, I guess in, in, um, uh, in May, I guess the Bundesliga came back. So that got me back. They were the first league that really started to play again. So it was probably just March and April that were really bad. And then once the Bundesliga got back, at least it got me back and thinking. So I guess that was the one that really, really recharged everything when Bundesliga came back. Yeah. I remember that. That was, it was the only sport going on at the time. And you just saw all of a sudden all sports betters were like, oh, hey, we're going to get really invested in the German league. And it was perhaps my favorite time in gambling Twitter when there was nothing else going on. And so just everybody became Bundesliga betting experts. I know. Yeah, guys walking around talking about Schalke and Borussia Dortmund <laughs> who never would have said it before. So it was it was kind of cool. 
Bruce, we're going to let you go here. Thank you so much for your time today. Real quick, once again, where can everybody catch you and everything that you're doing at the Gold Sheet? Thanks, Tommy. Check us out online, goldsheet.com. Like I said, our football publications, but I've got a couple more of those. Uh, well, one more after this, because but that'll be in, in a week from Monday, the Super Bowl issue. Right now, we've got conference championship game up there now. And like I said, basketball every day and our picks there every day, too. Goldsheet.com. My picks are also there. They're also up at Vegas Insider and DonBest.com. Ladies and gentlemen, Bruce Marshall, thank you so much for joining us here today, Bruce. My pleasure, gentlemen. Talk to you soon. Thank you once again to Bruce Marshall for being with us today. Before we wrap up the show here, Taylor, we've got to get to some best bets, though. Last week, like we said at the beginning, good for me, two and one, a little rougher for you, one and two, back to the tradition. Um, at this point, I am five and one on 2021. Uh, good for plus about five and a third units, 5.31 units to the good right now. What are you sitting at? Three and three uh, plus uh, 0.94 unit, close to a, a, a unit up. So not, you know, you can do worse, but uh, we're that was in the black, week. my friend. And let's see if we can add to that this weekend. Uh, my first best bet, Wolves, Chelsea, two and a half under minus 104. Wow. Okay. Okay. I, I don't hate it. I would lean under if I'm, if I'm touching the total, I'm not going to touch the total there. Uh, I don't know why, I guess it's just because the wolves, they have had some of these kind of like open high scoring games recently. I don't think Chelsea is going to be the one to necessarily do that. So yeah, the more you think about it, I think the under is probably the play, not a best bet for me, but uh, makes sense there. I'm going as my first best bet uh, back to that Aston Villa Newcastle game. And I'm going to take the Villa minus one at minus 127. I think Villa is just such a better team than Newcastle. They're in better form as well. They have better players and a more solid tactical plan. This makes sense to me. Give me Villa minus a goal. Okay. I'm liking the Villa minus a goal play there. I'm probably going to be following you on it, to be quite honest. Uh, my second best bet, though, I'm going with I'm going with a couple totals this week, which is actually rare for me. Normally, I pick more sides, but we'll see if these total plays can work out. As West Ham Palace under two and a half is another one of my best bets at minus one thirty six. Yeah, I'm backing you on that one. Uh, I I'm also going to take my West Ham play, and I'm going to add up double up that under. I think that makes a lot of sense. Maybe another one nil West Ham win. Call it a day. Where are you going for your second best bet? Let's do that Manchester United, Sheffield United game. Man U minus a goal and a half at minus 130. Uh, just such a better team than Sheffield United. Let's put it this way. If United, if Man U has any issue with Sheffield in this game, um, it confirms a lot of doubts that some might still have about their legitimacy in the title race. But I don't think this is going to be the game where any holes are poked in Man U. Uh, wouldn't shock me to see Sheffield United score in this game, which is kind of crazy to say for them, but just knowing how these Man U games have gone, maybe even consider an over uh, because I, I could see United winning like 3-1 in this, but I'm not going to touch any of that with maybe full units. Uh, I am touching a full unit and a best bet on Man U, minus a goal and a half, minus 130. Now, I actually had Southampton 2-1 to versus Arsenal in the Premier League game on Tuesday as my last best bet. Okay. But I'm not going to do that. Okay. I'm calling an audible here at the line of scrimmage and I'm going Fulham plus 270. Nice. Uh, I, I think that I can't give out a best bet on a game that we have to wait and see about, especially when these two teams play each other before then. Um, it might be stay tuned on Twitter at TV at work and on Book It Sports, on the Book It Sports app at TV at work. And 
I will certainly be posting what I end up playing in that game. But in terms of a best bet, I think I have to go Fulham here because that's one that I know that I'll be throwing money on right now. I love it. I mean, you know, that was one of my plays as well. Uh, I won't put it in best bets, but they it's this weird thing. I mean, down at the bottom of the table, we have seen some some sparks a little bit from some of these teams. I mean, Sheffield United won a game. West Brom has also gotten into the win column. Fulham playing well without getting the wins in recent uh, games. So, yeah, again, this is just like we say, value, 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 plus 270, all about it. Uh, yeah, lock it up. My final best bet, Tom, of the week, going to that German game, launching Gladbach Dortmund, over three and a half goals, plus 138. I just cannot believe my eyes at how good of a price that is at a play that I feel could totally hit in the first hour of this match. Um, you know, I, three and a half is a common total number that's offered in Germany these days. And a lot of times it makes sense to go over. Certainly makes sense here, especially at that price. Give me over three and a half goals in Mönchengladbach and Dortmund. All right, well, there you have it. That is going to be our show for the week. We hope that you guys have a profitable betting weekend and week ahead. We will be back, of course, next week. Same time, same place, wherever you get your podcasts. Once again, huge shout out to Book It Sports. Download the Book It app today and follow them on social media at Book It HQ. You can follow myself both on the app and on Twitter at TV at work. Let us know your picks parlays and plays for the week we want to know your thoughts and we hope that you've been enjoying the show taylor they can find you on social media twitter at atlt will with one l and on book it just t will also one l that is going to do it for us here this week one more time huge huge thank you to bruce marshall for joining us today from the gold sheet check him out on goldsheet.com guys it has been a pleasure and we will talk to you next week 